Welcome to SuperThank on X-Ray FM. I'm so thankful for her giving me that, that sense of being able to choose joy no matter what. Men and women who are interacting with the world in a very different way than I had ever experienced before. My thank you is to the teachers at Humboldt School who didn't lower expectations even though they knew my mom was on drugs. I hope you'll always be there to provide me strength and remind me why I love this community. Thank you. The writer Jane Howard said, Call it a clan, call it a network, call it a tribe, call it a family. Whatever you call it, whoever you are, you need one. Today on Super Thank Radio, we're listening to stories of gratitude for the people in our lives who provide gifts of life lessons and enduring support that we need to survive. And sometimes these gifts come from surprising places. Hi, I'm Kelly Gomez. First up on the program, we have a story from Brent Bellamy, who has been involved in public health and education projects around the globe, works with Carpe Diem Education, and is finishing school for public administration. Um, first off, imagine me, minus 12 years, minus probably 40 pounds, and less facial hair. So this is a kid that uh, grew up church-going, homeschooled, very little interaction with the rest of the world, and uh, uh, a fairly, fairly closed-in environment growing up. Older sister marries a guy from Alaska, and he offers me a job as a commercial fishing deckhand at 16. Um, scrawny guy, thought this would be a great adventure, decided to, to head up there. Um, I, my, my life at home, like I said, related in the, in the church world, homeschooling, I had two sisters, um, head up to Alaska and I find all these, uh, men and women who are interacting with the world in a very different way than I had ever experienced before. It was a world where people had large pieces of machinery, whether it was boats or trucks or whatever, that they fixed themselves, and they also hunted, killed, cleaned their own meat, and this, this, this different line of thinking that I had ever been exposed to before, and the way that my now uh, future brother-in-law related to the world was nothing that I had experienced before. He grew up with three brothers, and for some reason, the way that they related was inflicting pain on one another, which was a foreign world to me. And so here I am in a remote village in Alaska and uh, working as a deckhand for this, for this guy, just out of my element completely. And one day after a completely, probably one of the most difficult days of my life that I had seen up until that point, probably 14-plus hours of physical labor, uh, he decides to jump on my bunk on top of me and grab two fingers full of leg hair on my leg. And he says, odd or even. And, and he wouldn't, wouldn't do anything else until I gave him an answer, odd or even. I said, even. Rips those leg hairs out and starts counting through them one after another wound up on on 24 it was even so apparently I had won (laughs) made no sense to me whatsoever 
Um, this was one of the most one, one, a difficult summer of my life in which I, I, I learned a lot about myself. And um, now, 12 years later, I've been going up almost every season, and I captain a boat myself, and I've made that a part of who I am. But in addition to that, I identify with so many other things as well. I'm, I'm a social act- activist. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a world traveler. And there's all these other ways of thinking that I'm also involved in. And I, don't, I didn't want to tell this story um, as because I'm, I'm a big supporter of violent ways of relating to one another <laughs> uh, or aggressive whatnot, but, but it did open my mind to a new way of thinking and a new way of relating that uh, I attribute to my brother-in-law, Trevor Rollman. Thanks. Brent told his story of gratitude at the open mic portion of our second live storytelling event. You're listening to Super Thank on X-Ray FM. Up next, we'll hear from Cameron Witten, a local community activist who, in 2012, ran for Portland mayor at the ripe old age of 21. I just turned 23 last April. On my birthday, I was surrounded by 50 of my closest friends. I know they were my closest friends because there was actually an entry fee to get in. You see, my birthday is a day that I try to give back, to show gratitude for all the blessings I have in my life. I fundraise for a different cause each birthday, and this one was for Equity Foundation. Unfortunately, there is a Murphy Law that says organizing fundraisers aren't easy, especially when you think you're organized. I returned back to Portland only six days prior, suffering from massive jet lag and was dealing with massive depression due to suicide of a close friend. In the end, my birthday was a tremendous success. There's one person I specifically wanted to thank. When we first met two years ago, I was a senseless 21-year-old who thought he was going to be Portland's youngest and blackest mayor. (laughs) For the last two weeks of the primary, I walked around naked, campaigning at a giant box. (laughs) I'm glad they didn't ask me to bring pictures, because I just ate. (laughs) This is when I first met Jeff. We had a chat on the waterfront. I spoke with profound, hope-filled optimism about my passion for democracy. I left him with some of my literature, and from that moment was the birth of a great friendship. What's kind of funny is I actually don't recall meeting him. (laughs) I got a lot of attention while walking around in what I finally remember as the box project. That's a tribute to my other Jeff. Uh, But a few months later... I ended up outside of City Hall with uh, a new set of shenanigans. I was fueled by my uh, own experiences of being homeless uh, in Portland as a youth and decided to stage a two-month-long hunger strike uh, to address the crisis of homelessness in our community. Jeff was one of the first people to stand by my side. He brought me juices, called on the few friends that he had inside City Hall to help me, and even one time helped with a nasty little laundry incident. Uh, turns out things get a little slippery when you're on a liquid diet. <laughs> Sorry, uh, there's that whole just eight thing. <laughs> After losing 40 pounds during the hunger strike, uh, Jeff was there when I needed to readjust to normal society. He invited me to events at his gallery where I built relationships with his family, friends, and colleagues. I was even given the privilege of using the Butters Gallery for two of my own fundraisers. 
when I went through an interior designer phase at my house, Jeff in his bulky van was there to help me move couches, two beds, a, a table, art, and a big list of other things. Uh, he was always generous with his time and helped me grow inside this small city that sometimes makes me feel like a lonely young black kid. And he was there uh, when my life started to fall apart. Uh, in February, I found Mark, uh, a man who we had provided shelter to, to for 40 days, had just committed suicide in my home. Uh, he was dealing with schizophrenia and intentionally overdosed on pharmaceuticals. I was the one who had to call his sister to deliver the news no one should ever have to deliver. It's one of the hardest moments of my life. You can guess that I wasn't in an emotional state to stay at my home at that point. Jeff stepped up again, and he offered me his studio. He gave me privacy and space for healing, and I was able to stay in that studio as long as I needed to. I attended Mark's funeral in Ohio and got back just in time to plan my birthday party. It's been a few months since then, and healing sometimes feels like an impossible necessity, but it's still a necessity. I recently got myself a new place, and Jeff's going to help me haul everything over, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, Jeff, now that everybody in this room knows what an incredible, generous, and thoughtful person you are, I want to say thank you. You may have lied to me about being a vegan. <laughs> you may love your dog, Mojo, more than you care about the rest of humanity, but you have a talent for art, and you always give more than you receive. Sometimes I feel like I don't deserve your friendship or support. I'm flawed and impatient, and for some reason it seems like my life jumps from one emotional crisis to the next. But I hope you'll always be there to provide me strength and remind me why I love this community. Thank you. It means everything to me. Here's to two years, and hopefully many more. Cameron's friend Jeff was in attendance at the event, and they shared an emotional hug after he told his story. Superthank is a group whose mission it is to encourage one billion acts of radical community gratitude for the people and organizations that make our world the kind of place we'd all like to live. We also hope expressing that gratitude in a public forum will encourage more of the same. Today's collection of stories were told as part of Superthank's second live gratitude storytelling event, held at Beach Street Parlor in Northeast Portland. You, dear listener, are invited to our next live storytelling event on July 29th. You can register online at eventbrite.com. Just search for Superthank. If you have a story to share with us, you can reach out via email. Go to superthank.org or call us and tell it on the voicemail, 503-610-0855, 0855. You're listening to Super Thank on X-Ray FM. I'm Kelly Gomez. Next, we have a moving story from Jeremy Bircher, a local filmmaker, classically trained musician, singer, and audio engineer. And on the second time I would push it. Ba 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 
This is my grandma's doorbell, which was just the most fun thing when you're eight years old and have spent the last quarter block running to her house. She was an amazing woman, full of joy, the most joyful woman I've ever met. I mean, to have a doorbell like that, right? And she is also at war. She's 93 and lives on a small lake and has a geese problem. They come up over the lake into the lawn and expect somewhat of a breakfast buffet of grandma's backyard every morning. And she is not happy about what they leave behind afterwards. Thus has given a lot of time in the early morning to trying to get them back into the lake. First method, running around the yard, throwing her arms in the air, singing slash yelling at them. Now what you have to remember is grandma is super joyful, right? So as she's doing this, she's having a blast. My sister and I in the, you know, in the kitchen like kind of laughing at her and with her. Didn't work out. The geese kind of realized that, hey, this lady's harmless. While she was having a good time, it didn't work all the time. Second method, a broom. Grandma's weapon of choice, right? And she would go yelling after these geese with their broom, and they would go honk, 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 back into the lake. That worked about two weeks. Finally, we had to up the firepower. And as any grandma has, she had a huge bookshelf. Books, trinkets from across the world, photographs of friends, all these things from her life. And then closest to the window, next to a pack of matches, was about a dozen bottle rockets. She would sit casually in her living room chair, strike up a match, and with bottle rocket in hand, crack the window and toss it gently outside. The bottle rocket would, of course, nosedive into the lawn. The geese went crazy and would fly into the lake. It scared them and everyone else in the house. Not to mention, like, we always thought, geez, what if one of these things, you know, comes back inside? But all the while... She was having an amazing time. I'm so thankful for her giving me that that sense of being able to choose joy no matter what, even if there's a flock of geese pooping on your yard. And I'm lucky enough to have two amazing grandmas in my life. The second one, uh, who lives in in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, taught me the most about love uh, than anyone else has in my life. And we would stay up late talking all the time, and we'd, you know, get out all the old photo albums. And the one that she showed me the most was her wedding album. See, when she was 16, she met the love of her life, true love. And as soon as they were 18, they got married, like right away. She said it was the best time she'd ever had in her life with this, with this man. But when he looked at the sky, he saw his dream. He wanted to be a flyboy. And this being World War II, he could do that. He enlisted in the Air Force, got trained up. He was ready to go. But before he left, he had the love of his life right here, right? He told his brother, hey, man, I'm going off to war. If anything happens to me, make sure you take care of my wife, okay? He goes off to war. In the middle of the night, my grandma woke up one night. She couldn't fall back asleep for a week, a whole week. She was, like, sleepless. And that cycle was broken when she got a telegram delivered to her door. I'm sorry, ma'am, but your husband's been shot down. She was totally devastated, completely heartbroken. But among this hard time, the brother lived up to his promise and married her. Unfortunately, they weren't very similar at all. 
and it was an incredibly difficult relationship. They actually got a divorce after having four children together in 1950 when getting a divorce was pretty much like committing social suicide. There wasn't any community to back her up there and say, like, hey, what's going on? She was on her own. She managed to raise these four girls, working a variety of jobs, reaching out for help where she could, and tried to make the best life that she could and provide for them. All the while, she said that even though that marriage was as hard as it was, she had the children that she would have had with this other man. She could see his eyes in theirs throughout this. She's older now, and when she told me that story, I said, God, Grandma, out of all these hardships, like, how did you manage to get through all of that? And she says, you know, I had enough true love in those two years to last me the rest of my life. And that stuck with me. But this story has an extra turn to it. A couple of years ago, she had a heart attack. And she's doing fine. She's better now. But that forever changed her life. She had a lot of treatment going on and a whole new diet to memorize. And in that treatment that she got, her first husband, who'd been killed in action, who was a veteran, had insurance that covered all of her medical bills for this. And she sees this perfectly well. Even though they didn't get to spend that lifetime of love together, he's still watching out for her, still taking care of her in her old age, just like they planned 60 years ago. I'm so eternally grateful for those vintage voices that had given me so much knowledge and wisdom uh, throughout my life. And I can't help but feel eternally grateful for all those grandmas and grandpas out there who have a lifetime worth of wisdom if we would just stop and listen to their stories. Thank you so much. Grandmothers play a truly unique role in our lives, and Jeremy's were no exception. Up next on Superthank, Lakeitha Elliott, a community organizer specializing in social justice and LGBTQ issues and chair of the Multnomah County Democratic Party. So there's an E-40 song that says, I remember when the world went crazy back in 1985. And I remember in about 1985 when the world went crazy for me. But I was born in North Northeast Portland. And when I say North Northeast Portland, I don't mean no po, and I don't mean the arts district. I mean real Northeast Portland, the hood. I mean when Safeway was called unsafeway by people who didn't live in the neighborhood. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about North Northeast Portland, pre-Alberta, uh, last Thursday and all those things. So in 1985, my mom decided um, she became addicted to crack cocaine. And um, again, that was a time when it, the world went crazy. It was the thing to do in, in inner city ghettos and neighborhoods. And so um, my story of gratitude is about even though my mother began using drugs, I grew up in a strong, vibrant community in North Northeast Portland. And so my thank you is to North Northeast Portland. It's to the people who lived on the street, across the street from Jefferson, where I walked to Humboldt School, who looked out for me. Um, the people who, again, like I said, my mom was on drugs, so the people who gave me shoelaces when I need them or put my hair in a ponytail when I need them. Um, my thank you is to the teachers at Humboldt School who didn't lower expectations even though they knew my mom was on drugs. So that's my, th my gratitude for those people. Um, again, the community was strong and vibrant. There, you'll hear that people were on drugs and that there were gangs, 
but I felt more safe then than I do often now in my own neighborhood. And so, again, my gratitude is to those people in those places, Humboldt. I went to Jefferson High School for preschool and for high school. Um, and one of the major players in that story at Jefferson High School was uh, my high school English teacher. And when I walked into her classroom, she had a sign on the wall that said, question everything. And that opened up to me, the black girl, the one that people didn't expect. If you listen to what the statistics say, I shouldn't be standing here right now. I should be in jail or I should be dead. Um, I shouldn't be involved in my community. And so her having that sign that said question everything opened up that me, a black girl who came from that background, could question why our schools were underfunded, um, why our teachers were paid less than other teachers, why we got the worst teachers in the district. Um, I could question why gentrification is happening in my neighborhood, and I could speak up and say something about it. Um, so again, my gratitude is for a strong and vibrant community. For the guy who I found out later was one of the drug dealers who sold drugs to my mom, but as I walked past his house every day, he always checked on me, and gave me five bucks for my good report cards and those kind of things. And so, again, my gratitude is to strong, vibrant North, Northeast Portland. I don't necessarily look at it as a deficit that my mom started using drugs because there were so many positives that I got out of that. My mom had never used drugs. I might not be as resilient as I am. I might not have known the strengths in my community or who the people were who would have stepped up and looked out for me. So in many ways, I'm grateful that she did begin using drugs because it opened up to me a world of community and that strong sense of community. And it reminds me every day why I do the work I do to give back to the community, to look out for those kids who are like me um, whose parents may not be able to be there, but I can be a strong community member and stand up for them. So that's my gratitude for strong, vibrant communities. Thank you. Lakeitha's story really speaks to the powerful roles adults play in the lives of the children around them. I got in touch with her English teacher, Linda Christensen, after the event, and I'm happy to report that they still have a strong relationship today. Our next story was told during the open mic session of our storytelling event by Chad Patesnick, a music instructor and band teacher visiting from Atlanta. Many years ago, uh, I was just a young middle school child and my mother was in Fort Lauderdale in the restaurant industry and it was a industry of, uh, you know, those were the days of uh, Fort Lauderdale, uh, the cocaine industry, the mafia industry, the early 80s and um, I was a child that, and uh, sometimes uh, I wouldn't know at night where my mom would be or if my mom would come home. And I had a friend named Brandon, uh, Alan Brandon Smith, who's here tonight, who's my best friend from those times. And uh, he and his mother would uh, bring me over and, and invite me over to their house. And uh, knowing that my mother wouldn't be home at certain times or may not be home at all, and... Um, they took me in and uh, and gave me a sanctuary to a place that were you know were, were good to me. And uh, Brandon and I had music in common. We were both in our high school band together. We performed in band together, and um, and uh, I'd like to thank him and his mother uh, for taking me in as a youngster when I had uh, nothing as a parental unit, no guidance, no anything. And I also had a younger sister um, who I had to take care of who was uh, five or six years younger than me and, um, you know, not knowing when my mother would be home at nights and uh, just uh, the Smith family really took me in and uh, I'd like to really give gratitude to Brandon Smith and his family tonight. Thank you. 
Chad's story is another beautiful example of community members stepping into the caregiver's role and irrevocably shaping a child's life. You know, all of our stories today really illustrate the basic human need to belong to a family, to a tribe, to a community. The lives of all five of our storytellers would have been profoundly different had they not had the benefit of these influences. Who's your tribe? Super Thanks Next Live Storytelling event will be held on July 29th. We are so thankful to Beach Street Parlor for the generous use of their space over the past several months. Our audience has grown enough for us to need a larger venue, so on July 29th, we'll be gathering at East Burn. Please join us there. If you think you'd like to share a story of community gratitude, find us at superthank.org. This radio show and its live storytelling event are produced by the people of Superthank. They are Jefferson Smith, Michelle Jones, Tim Marcroft, Paul Cohn, Michael Pollard, Harai Kalasa, Yarke Kronberg, Brandon Ross, Kara Hansen, Ajane Vaughn, and Kelly Gomez, who hosted today's show and wrote it with myself, Eric Klein. My thanks to the composer of all the music on this program, Portland's own Poddington Bear. <laughs>